Um, I was looking at my Twitter timeline um, throughout the weekend. Last night, we were having dinner. I was looking through the timeline and whatnot, and I recognized how there's so many churches that cancel this weekend's services, um, and they don't have a service this weekend because there's a lot of people um, traveling. There's a lot of people doing things with their families, and they can't make it to church. But I said, no, we're not going to cancel, and I want to thank you guys for being at church on such a busy week. And what greater place to end the year than in the house of God. Amen? So um, I'm just encouraged. I really am blessed to share this word, teach this word to you guys, really talk this word with you guys. It really ministered to me. And you're going to see why the message is titled what it's titled. It's titled Sit Down. So if you're taking notes, um, write that down. Sit down. And please sit down. Stay seated. If you want to get up and clap and scream and shout, you could do that here. Uh, Every once in a while, you could smile. That always brings warmth to the preacher. Okay? When you don't smile, it feels weird. It feels like I'm saying something bad, wrong, and I'm not making any sense. So every once in a while, though, you don't want to, just do one of these to me. Okay? <laughs> clap every once in a while if you feel led to clap. If you want to say amen. amen. All right? If you want to say preach it. preach it. All right? If you say keep going. Keep going. End it faster. No, don't say that one. All right? <laughs> all right? But, but just um, rejoice in the house of the Lord. Um, we're called to be joyous in here. Amen? Um, I'm just, ex- I'm really am, <laughs> I feel like if I press rewind and play, rewind and play in every week and sir, are you going to see me do this a lot? It's like they wear the jacket, just bear with this, okay? Um, getting used to these things, but <laughs> if I were to rewind and press play, I think I would say this a lot, and this is what I would say, this is what I say a lot. Have you noticed, or every time I preach I say this, I say, I'm really excited for this message. <laughs> How can you not be? If you ever go and visit a church, well, this is your church, but if you ever go visit a church and the preacher is not excited about preaching that message, it's probably not the church for you, amen? But you want to go to a church that the preacher is excited about God's word. So I'm excited for today's message. The reason why I'm excited for today's message is because you guys have no idea sometimes what happens here. Um, I'll listen to the message, and what it does is it breaks me first, it ministers to me first, I hear it first, I write down thoughts first. I think about you guys then, and then as I start thinking about you guys and I start preparing this, I'm like, Lord, let them see you in this. Let them not see me. Let them not see anything. Let them hear you. Let them experience you. And what a weird title, like sit down. I'm going to tell you because I can't take all the credit all the time. Really, all the credit goes to God, but here's the credit. Uh, One of my favorite ministers called Judah Smith, he wrote a book called Jesus Is. In one of his chapters, he has a segment, and it's titled, Sit Down. I love that section. And that's where I got um, the mindset of this message, Sit Down. I grabbed some ideas from Judah Smith, um, but it's not all his thoughts. But um, the Lord used him to minister to me so that I could minister to you guys. It's a great book if you want uh, your recommendation for the new year. It's a good book. Jesus is. I recommend you get it. If not, there's a million others I could recommend for you. But here we go. Sit down, and um, as we welcome you to the last service, um, Maori said it, and I just opened up in prayer. It's a year that, uh, if you really think about 2013, think about everything that's happened real quick there in your mind. You could just flash things um, in your mind. It's a year that you'll never be able to get back. It's a year that you'll never be able to relive. It's a year that you'll never be able to say, do over. That's the problem with games. See, I'm the kind of person, I mean, this is just me. 
I used to play games, right? I hit an age because I knew myself, and I recognized that Xboxes, Nintendos, and all things, they weren't allowed in my house anymore because I knew me, you know what I mean? Like, I knew that if I did that, I wasn't going to have a life. So I stopped buying. My mom was like, you don't want like a, I was like, no more Genesis. That's how old, that's like the last one I had a Genesis. None of that. And like, you used to be so into it, but I know me. It would consume me. This is what I used to do. I used to play like, let's say I was playing football, right? A Madden game. And I was in a, I was in a, a, a league, uh, what's that called? A season uh, in the game. I would want to be in the, undefeated in that season, right? So as I'm playing, I'm realizing it's the fourth quarter, a couple minutes left, and I'm really losing. There's no way I'm going to come back. Guess what I would do? I don't think I'm going to finish this game. I'll just reset it and play this game over again because I want to make sure that I stay undefeated in my season. And I was the kind of person that I always wanted to be the greatest in the Genesis game. So I'm going to just go ahead and what? Do it over. You know, what's interesting about when a year comes and goes is when the year goes, you can't do over a year. I can't stand in front of my TV like I did with the Super Nintendo and press reset and go back to the beginning of that game and say, let's try this again. What's interesting about 2013, you can't jump back to January 1st and say, let's do this again. Like, think about it. This year, I can't do it again. I had a kid this year. Can't go back. <laughs> it's there every morning, and I'm blessed, and I love it. Okay? There's so many things in my life that I just can't go back. Those are things that you can't do over. And for some, it was a year to remember. Others... It was just a year that you just want to put it away and never remember this year again. And you guys know. I don't have to come here and say, yeah, it's you. I'm talking about you. I'm you know, I don't even know what some of you guys are going through. Some can count happy and joyous times. Others are times of tears and pain and, and sadness. We have marriages that have added to their families, added children, um, so on and so forth. The second child, parents for the first time, parents again to a new, a new child. And then there are families that have become smaller. They've separated. Some have lost a loved one. Um, some, sadly, got in divorce. So many things that have happened in a year. I'm sorry, you're being very personal. Well, that's what church is. Many things happen in a year. Some of us have got a new, received a new job this year. Amen? Some of us got laid off. Some of you, as soon as I said, they're like, well, not me. I got laid off this year. It's hard, right? It's hard to, to hear that. But all through this year, there have been moments, moments to cherish and moments some would love to erase. And I didn't share this to depress any of you, to lift up the one that's had a great year and to bring down the one that didn't have such a good year. I didn't do that for that reason, okay? Paul, in his letter to Timothy, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read, one, I'm going to read three verses real quick. He's writing from his jail cell. He's chained up, and he's about to enter into his execution. He's about, to get, he's about to be killed. And as he's in prison, he's in jail, and he's about to be killed, he writes to Timothy, a son in the faith. And he says this in 2 Timothy 2. Everyone there? Cheaters? Bring your Bibles? <laughs> 2 Timothy 2, it says, verse 11. Look how he starts off. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a faithful saying. Hey, what I'm about to tell you, it's, it's, it's something to... To take serious, it's, it's, it's something to keep in your heart always. And, and look what he tells him. If we die with Jesus, if we die with him, he gives a promise next. He says what? We will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. And then he goes on. He says, by the way, if you deny him, guess what? He's going to deny you, so don't deny him. Bad one. But then he jumps into 13. And he says, if we are unfaithful, what? He remains faithful. 
for he cannot deny himself. Uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, this trustworthy saying, it's so amazing. Hey, you're unfaithful at times, right? Everyone says, right. He says, well, well, he never, ever walks through the path of unfaithfulness. He remains faithful. He remains trustworthy. He remains alive. When you die out, he stays alive. When you go left, he stays right. When you endure hardship, you remember this. Continue to come to Jesus because you continue to reign with Christ. Hey, you're going through a difficult moment, Timothy. Guess what? Christ is there. You guys get this? And Paul is, is really stressing this. And then in another letter, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, he almost mimics this in, in just one phrase. Watch what he says in, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, writing to a church of Thessalonica. He says, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and he will guard you. Uh, another translation says, and he will protect you. I like that because... Don't you like to walk around knowing you're protected? I, I do. That's cool. Like, imagine walking around. Like, like you've never seen a president on TV. Maybe some of you have seen him in real life. I'll never forget one day driving down 836. Everything just shut down. I was like, what happened? Everything just stopped. Vroom. They closed everything. All the highways around the airport could not function if the president, the Air Force One, was going to land in MIA. And I'm like, are you serious? Am I going to drive over... The expressway into the gate of the airport where the tower is going to see me into Air Force. It's impossible, but, but, but the president is protected. I love to know that when I wake up in the morning, I'm protected and I'm guarded and everything around me needs to shut down because a child of God is walking through. That's pretty amazing. And, and, and here's Paul. If you read the earlier chapters, there's a lot of things that he mentions to Thessalonica. Hey, there's this going on, there's this, there's this happening, all these different things that could happen in your life. There's a lot of stuff, but then he goes on in 3.3 and he says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and he will protect you. He is going to guard you, church. Now imagine the person that's sitting here today that's had a, a year of hell. Year of hell. And I'm standing right here before you today. And in your year of hell, I'm telling you that the Lord is faithful. And I'm telling you that he will protect you. Well, I don't see it. I know, but he's doing it well. You're even seeing it. There are angels on your every side. There's a fence all around you. There's things that probably poked in. There's things that have said things about you. There's things that have hit you, arrows that have creeped in. But that fence hasn't come down, gone down. That fortified city has not fallen. Jesus Christ still guards you. Imagine that person today. I'm telling you, it's true. If you're his child, you're covered in the blood. In Psalm 145, the psalmist says something very similar to what Paul says later on in his life. And this is what the psalmist says. 145, chapter 13 of Psalm, if you're taking notes. It says, the Lord is what? Are you guys getting drift here? You guys catching on to this? Am I trying to make a point here? What's the point I'm trying to make? Yeah, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Like, I, let's just close off the service. Amen. Lord, thank you. The Lord is faithful. And look what he's faithful to, to all of his promises. And he's loving toward all that he has made. He's faithful. He's faithful. Has he made you? Has, he pro has promises been poured your way? 
then he's faithful to keep those things. And guess what? Though you might not see it, he is so faithful in loving you that it's not even funny. So, so I long, as I was preparing this, I long to tell you this today, that, what, that whatever this year has brought your way, there is one thing that is certain, and it's this, guys. God has not changed. You could write that on your notes. Have things changed around your life this year? I, I know in my life they have. On Saturdays, I would wake up at 10, 11, ready? Sometimes even 12, like a pig, that's me. Now I wake up at 7, 6, if I get lucky, 8. The other day he woke up at 9. I looked at my wife and said, he's still sleeping. Oh, my God. It was 9 o'clock. I thought something went wrong. I said, what? Lord, we're all here, okay? And he was still sleeping. That's a miracle in my house today because I have an infant. Things changed in my life for the better, but things changed. But I, I tell you today, God has not changed. He has not changed his mind about you. He remains faithful, and he has a love that continues to flow towards you. Amen? And whatever defines your current life today, there is one thing that your Lord desires, that our Lord desires, and it's this, and you can write this down in your notes. It is to find rest in him. To find rest in him because he's faithful. To find rest in him because he protects you. To find rest in him because he guards you. Find rest in your Lord because it's him. And today I want you to see that there is nothing that you can do, nowhere that you can go, that can solve, that can give, or that can replace anything that you are going through or have ever gone through. There is only one answer. And that's what the Lord wants, for you to find rest in him. Hey, 2013 ended. Everyone say hooray. But guess what's right around the corner? 2014. Oh, no. <laughs> That's, Pastor Leo was here last week, and he said, hey, we all get excited about a, new, a year ending. But guess what? There's nothing changes in the new year. Guess why? Because you're going to wake up tomorrow, you go to the same job, you wake up to the same spouse, and guess who wakes you up? The same kids. And guess where you live in? The same house, in the same neighborhood, driving the same car, and you still come to the same church. Nothing it really is changing around your dynamics. But there are different problems that change. There are family issues that change. There are stuff that happens, but, but you're still here. You're, you're still there if God hasn't taken you. And, and I'm telling you that whatever you're going through, there's one answer. And what happens when things crumble, when things break, when things shatter? Here it is. The life that we live in, the world that we live in, what does it do? Come on, we could be honest here. It offers you something very special, and it's called momentary solutions. Does it not? Hey, you're going through this problem? Well, I have an answer for you. Gosh, how many of us have a friend like that? As soon as you're going through a problem, Psst, what are you doing tonight? I got your solution for you. I'm going to pick you up at 7, okay? All right, good. Momentary solutions to our current problems. What do they put? What do they do? Well, let's look at today's world that we live in. They put us on medication. That'll solve it. Put them on medication. They diagnose us with conditions. Oh, you're uh, bipolar. You're schizo. You're ADD. You're, and they just diagnose us with anything. The world advises us to visit a specialist, go see a psychologist, go see a psychiatrist, some sort of counselor. What do men do? Men tell other men when they're going through something, let's just go out, let's forget about it for the day, for the night. 
and their solution is to view at times perversion and like if that's going to help. Women tell each other, well, let's go out, let's have some drinks, let's just go out and dance, let's have a good time, let's just get our mind off this, forget about it for a night. Like if that solves the problems and puts all the broken pieces back again. And you look at alcohol and sex and drugs and pills and doctors, people, and none of those are the solution. How many of you could say it's true? None of those things were the solution. In my life, none of those things continue to be the solution today. You know, it reminds me of a verse. You know what verse it reminds me of? Have any of you ever heard this verse? When Christ is speaking in the Gospels of Matthew and, and Luke, he says this, Heaven and earth, heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. <laughs> heaven and earth will, will never disappear. Um, will disappear, but my words will will never disappear. And it reminded me of that because man's solution and the world's solution to cure our problem will pass away, but our true solution, the true answer never passes. It's the truth of his word. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? And that's what Christ is saying here. That, that man, this world offers great solutions at times. Some of these things that I mentioned are, are pretty good, but they last just for a moment. But when you look at the solutions that Christ offers, his answers never pass. They never disappear. And when life offers momentary solutions to our problems, listen to this, God offers eternal solutions to our momentary problems. All four of you, thank you, but it's the truth. It's the truth. When the world offers momentary solutions to your problems, God offers eternal solutions to your momentary problems. Yeah, man. 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read from a funny translation, but it's still the word of God. Listen to this. It's called The Message. It says, in hard times, in tough times, in bad times, when we're beaten up. Anyone been there? I mean, have you been in jail? No, I'm just saying, don't, don't raise your hand for that one. Jailed, mobbed, working hard, working late. Some of you work more than one job just to earn a living. Working without eating, with a pure heart, clear head, steady hand. Some of you just, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing life regal. I'm gentle and holiness, honest love. When they're telling the truth, and when God is showing his power, when we're doing our best, setting things right, and when we're praised, and when we're blamed, so good and bad moments, when we're slandered and honored at the same time, when we're true to our word, but yet still distrusted, ignored by the world, but we're recognized by God, when we're terif terrifically, I didn't know that was a word, alive, though rumored to be dead, we're beaten with an inch of our lives, but refuse to die. We're immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. We're living on, on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, but yet we have it all. And Paul's like a mess here. What are you saying, Paul? There's good moments, there's bad moments, there's ups, there's downs. There's, life is like a roller coaster. There's issues in life. There's problems. I, I get beaten one day, and I get praised the next. I get lifted up one day. I get beat down the next. I'm, I'm, I'm woo, Paul, the magnificent. The next day, I'm woo, Paul, the idiot. Uh, my God, my life is a mess, Paul's saying. But you know what he says in the beginning of 2 Corinthians 6, 3 to 10, and before he says all of this stuff right here? This is what he starts off with. Ready? It starts off like this. People are watching us as we stay 
our post alertly and unswervingly. That is so awesome. Hey, Corinth, people are watching you. Stay on your post. Stay alert. Don't swerve. Stay still. And in the process, then he goes into it. I was beaten and I was praised. I was exalted and I was da da da. And he says, but stay your course. Stay on your post. Do not swerve. Paul nails it. There are ups and downs in life. I want you all to say this with me. That's normal. Say that. Yeah. Because we serve God, because we come to church, because any of these things that you might think, it does not exempt you from the world's problems, issues, families, work, people, accidents. My wife got a ticket on the way over here. These things happen to us. <laughs> she did. But it's okay. We're going to take care of it. But, but these things happen. They happen to you and I. What do we do about it? Problems happen. They arise and Paul nails it. So how do I live, Paul? How do I live, Jesus? Staying at my post unswervingly, alert, that's hard. Because have you seen my life? Have you seen things that have happened within my family? Maybe not. Maybe you're like, I don't know, man, what you're talking about. Everything's good in my life. Good. But how do I continue to worship? It's hard. How do I continue to stay on point? It's hard. And here is my meat of my message. Here it is. I'm going to get into the meat. That was just the introduction, but the meat is not that long. Here it is. You will never be able to do it. You never will. If you don't learn to do one thing, you ready? Sit down. Some of you are like, the new year, you should be telling us to stand up. That was last year. I know, we're crazy here. This year is sit down. <laughs> we're crazy. Last year was stand up. This year, sit down. Next year will be walk. Next year will be run. I don't know. But sit down. You'll never be able to stand your post as people watch you unless you, you sit down. What do you mean by sit down? Because, you know, in our lives, this is how we live thinking. And maybe you can relate to me because I struggle with this as a pastor. Here I go. We live thinking I have to do. I have to go. I got to act. I have to be like this. I must pray like this. I must worship like this. Hey, I must preach like this. I have to serve like this in this capacity, etc. Et we could go down the list. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget how my heart feels. There are moments where my week is, is an easy week, and I might not have any meetings, and it's good. And then I, I talk to a pastor or a pastor friend. They're like, oh, my God, this week is bombarded. I have like 12 meetings in, in like three days. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing something wrong. Oh my God, I'm doing something wrong. I don't have any meetings in the next three days. And he has 12 meetings in three days. How come I don't have no meetings? I have to call people and just set up meetings so I could tell him, I have meetings like you, 12 in three days. Oh my God, we're all pastors. And then I recognize God's like, shut up, man. It's not about how much you can do or what you can do for me. And it's almost like God tells me in my heart, sit down. Don't get lazy, but just sit down. Don't get complacent, but, but just sit down. And in our lives, aren't we like that at times? Maybe not as a pastor, but aren't you like that at times? That you feel like you need to do, like you need to go, like you need to act, like you need to be, like you need to dress, like you need to sing, like you need to talk, like you need to behave, like you need to do things a certain way in this way. And what does that eventually do to you and I, especially to me? What does that do? Hopefully it does it to you too. Hopefully I'm not the only one in misery. It stresses the heck out of me, man. I'm stressed out. My wife sees me around the house like, what's wrong? I'm losing hair. Like, I'm stressed. Why? I have to do, I have to act, I have to be, I have to, I have to call back, I have forgot this person, this person's mad, I have to call that person, I have to meet with that person, oh my God, this person, did you find out what they said about me? And, and my wife's like, shut up, just relax, they're going to keep saying things, like just, just relax, I'm like, okay, it's hard, it's hard, we stress ourselves out, 
and I, I don't know about you, but I do, and, and we become frustrated, and then I become frustrated with myself because I, I start to evaluate my life, and when I'm frustrated because I'm not doing, and I'm not being, and I'm not acting, and I'm not calling, and I'm not saying, I recognize that I become frustrated with myself, and then I say, why am I frustrated with myself? Hey, I hope someone's listening to me. It's because then I recognize that I'm living for others. And I'm not living for God. And people, what they say are bothering me. And God's like, you're not living for them. How many of you here are mad at someone because you live for others? And I recognize that in my life and I get frustrated. And I get hurt. But then there's times when I, because I'm living for others and I get frustrated with myself and now it becomes... I'm frustrated at them, I'm frustrated at me because I want to do and I'm not doing, I want to go and I'm not going and then I find out, wait, not only am I living for others but now I'm living for, my, for myself. And God is just sharpening and cutting me and ripping me. And he's like, you don't live for yourself and you don't live for others and then he, he unwraps this present and the answer is you live for me. And, and, and I've recognized that when I stress out about others, I live for them. When I stress out about myself, I live for me. And now my heart is all messed up. Anyone can relate to me? Am I the only dysfunctional person in this church? <laughs> and I am a mess. And my heart is a mess. And then you know what happens from there, right? Your thoughts start to become impure. And your thoughts are not pure anymore. And then you know what happens when your thoughts and your heart are not pure anymore, right? Anyone know the next step? Out of the abundance of the heart, then your actions begin to, begin to show other characteristics. And the last thing you show is Christ's characteristic. And Christ is like, you want to know why you're not displaying me? Because you're living for yourself. You're living for others. So then I wrote this down in my notes. It's this simple, this theological, right? This deep. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Was all of that worth it? And then I wrote this down. Sit down. Sit down. I'm going to share something with you real quick. The first position of a believer, it's not walking. It's not pacing. It's not marching. It's not sprinting. Sprinting madly from one activity to the next, it's sitting. It's sitting. What do you mean by sitting? Here it is, ready? Here's my revelation. It is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by sitting. You rest in Jesus and rest in his finished work. You remember weeks ago when I preached on Colossians 3? I don't know if you guys remember. Probably not, but I'm going to remind you. Chapter 3, verse 1. As soon as I say the first phrase, you're going to remember it. Watch this. They put a different translation, but one translation says, If then. Remember that? If then. Remember that message? We made a comment, and then I would say what? If then. No? All right. I preached it a couple weeks ago. Well, in Colossians 3, 1, it says this. If then. Let's practice that again, like we did a couple weeks ago. Good, you guys are good. If then you were raised with Christ, look what he says. I'm just going to remind you what I shared like about two months ago. Seek those things which are above. If then, then seek that. 
Where Christ is. And then look what he says next. Where Christ is. Christ is where? Not beneath. Where's Christ? Where's Christ? He's where? No, come on. Seek those things which are above. Where what? Where's Christ? He's above. He's above all things, man. He's above everything. You've ever ridden an airplane? It frustrates me too. That frustrates me, airplanes. You want to know why it frustrates me? Because I take off and I see my job and I see my house. I'm like, that's it. It's that small. I could go like this from an airplane. But when I get in my car, this becomes 45 minutes. <laughs> On an airplane, it becomes this. What becomes so big, so problematic to Christ who sits above all things, it is what? It is just so much smaller. And scripture says, where Christ is, where's Christ above all things? And what is he doing if he's above all things? Guess what the answer is, guys? Yeah, he's sitting down. You're thought, no way, he has gloves on, he's fighting the devil. No, he's sitting. <laughs> oh, I know what he's doing, he's screaming from heaven. No, he's sitting. No, he's got to be telling the angels, orchestrating. He's actually not. Angels do that for him. He's sitting. He says, where Christ is, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. It's a simple phrase, but yet very complex, very deep, but yet very simple. What is Paul really saying here? Based on everything that I'm saying, do this. Do this. Seek this. Because of everything that I've just unwrapped for you, do this. Chapters 1 and chapter 2 of the same book of Colossians. I'm getting ready to end. Watch this. Paul begins to describe... It's all about Jesus. It's all about his work on the cross. And how he is the center of everything. Jesus is the center. As a matter of fact, in Colossians, it talks about how, how everything was made by him, for him, and through. Everything is about Jesus. Jesus' is work on the cross. He is the center of all life, of all creation. And then in chapter 3, after he begins to tell us all that, in chapter 3, he says, And if then, if then, after everything that I've just said, if you believe all this, based on all that I've just said, here's what you need to do. He's basically saying this, the ball is in your court now. If, then the ball's in your court now. Judah Smith gives a little illustration. He says this in his book. He's like, have you been raised with Christ or not? And people are like, what? Well, yes. According to Colossians 1, I've been raised with Christ. Absolutely, I have. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because you don't sound sure. And the person says, yes, I'm sure I've, I've been raised. Okay, you've been raised with Christ. And based on that fact, then seek those things which are above. What, what, what is he trying to say? To make sure that you don't base your obedience on anything other than one thing. On the finished work of Jesus Christ who is above and sitting above everything. So you mean to tell me while I'm below and I'm here, I got to keep my mind up there? And, and then Paul's like, yes, on the finished work of Christ. Because your problem today is not the finished work. The finished work is done, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. The finish is in Jesus Christ. The end is in Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. You have a new nature now. You're a new being now. You, church, what Paul is saying is you need to stop trying and striving on your own. Stop trying to be so righteous on your own, on your own merit. Well, look what I've done. Look what I serve. Look how I sing. Look how I do. Look how I... It's not on your own merit that you can do this. 
But instead, you need to learn to live in the finished work of Jesus, and then everything else becomes so much easier if your focus is on Jesus. You want to know why life gets so frustrated at times? Because we take our eyes off Jesus, and we place them on man, we place them on man-made things, we place them on carnal things, we place them on things of this world, and our eyes were always meant to stay focused on Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. What happens is, in our new nature, I, I don't know about you, but I tend to what? To act like my old nature. Well, I don't like the way he said, and God's like, who cares what he said? What did I say? Well, I don't like the way they did. Who cares what they did? What did I do? Well, I don't like the way, I don't care what, who am I? It's, it's, it's seeking the things that are above. It's the finished work of Christ. When you take your eyes off, that perfect example was Peter. Focus on Jesus, walk on water. Take your eyes off Jesus, begin to sink. There's a great illustration of life there, church. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on Jesus. He's your only solution. He's your only answer. Colossians 1.1 says, Christ is, comma, sitting at the right hand of God. He sits in heaven, and you might sit here and say, sit? He's seated? You, you really mean he's seated? And I say, yeah, he's actually sitting. He's sitting in heaven. No way. That's got to be an error in the Bible. You're, you're reading that wrong, ready? You're interpreting that wrong, Look it up in the Greek and in the Hebrew. Guess what it means? Sitting. He's sitting down. His bottom is on the chair. He's sitting. He's postured. Sitting down. He's not. I fooled you. I'm really not sitting. I was almost sitting, but I, no, he's sitting. And we think, well, he should be pacing, huh? Like a coach. He should be pacing the sidelines, yelling at his team. Run this play. Make that pass. Beat them. Beat them. Right? No. Instead, he's sitting. He's not standing. Let me tell you why he's not standing. Because standing, up, what does standing imply? Standing implies action. <laughs> standing implies urgency, activity. And Jesus, right, he should be standing because he's active, he's acting, he's urgent, he's activity. But Jesus, instead, we read Colossians and Paul says, no, he's not standing at all, man. Sorry. If you thought that's the God you serve, he's actually sitting. Now you're sitting here all worried. Oh, my God, I'm serving a God that's sitting? Relax. It's a good sitting. Why is sitting good? Here it is. Here it is. Sitting is the position of reign. Kings sit on their throne because they reign over their kingdom. If Jesus sits in your heart because he reigns over your life. Jesus is sitting in eternity because he reigns over all creation. And Colossians tells us, He's sitting. He's not on his feet. He's not walking around. He's not stalking you, looking around, pacing around. He's not biting his nails. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I hope, I hope she decides. I hope he decides to take that job. I hope he doesn't marry that one. I hope he doesn't preach that message. That's not what Christ is not worried, biting his nails in heaven. He's not even sweating. 
But instead, Scripture teaches us that Jesus is sitting. You want to know what that means? Jesus is actually relaxing. You think he's stressed out right now? I'm telling you right now, Jesus is not stressed. Jesus is relaxing. He's sitting down, calm down. And you know, what it, you know what he's doing? He's in heaven, and he's saying this to his father. Everything's well. All is well. All is finished. Why do you think on the cross, one of his last words, what was it? It is Why would he say it is finished to yeah, continue it again? It is finished because it's the end. The movie's done. That's it. It's over. It's finished. He sits at the right hand of God, Colossians 1.1 tells us. And then the scripture, as you begin to read it, he, he, he mocks his enemies. He laughs at the enemy. Can you imagine Jesus sitting down in heaven, and as he's looking down, he's like, ah, Satan, you think you're going to destroy that person's life. You have no idea the capacity and how that person is going to serve me. And he's laughing at the enemy as he's sitting on his throne. That's amazing. And he's sitting there and he's reigning. Everything's finished, laughing at his enemy. And Acts chapter 7 verse 49 teaches us something amazing. It teaches us that the entire earth is his ottoman. You know what that means? It's his footstool. As a matter of fact, I'll read you the verse. Acts 7 49 says, heaven is my throne. Pretty good throne. And the earth is my what? You guys are worried about... Warm climate and global warming and suicides and abortions. He's like, I put my feet on this stuff. He's like, I got the final victory. He's like, I, I reign in eternity. Earth is my footstool. Earth is my ottoman. You know, when you go to a person's house, you sit down, like there's one thing missing. And they roll it out and they place it right before your feet. And they're like, now nah, it's done. And you just, boom, boom. You put both legs and you just sit there. That's what Jesus is doing with earth. It's finished, man. It's finished. He has the final victory. And many of us live our lives in victories only when, on Sundays like today, we all sing, we all clap, we all say amen. But after a Monday, there's no more amens, there's no more claps, there's no more singing. And I'm like, yo, where are your amens that you were shouting on Sunday? Like, Monday, we're not here. And we live on victory on Sundays. Then Monday comes around and we begin to live in defeat again. And here's the truth. I'm going to ask Tito to come up. If we would just orient our lives that Jesus is sitting in heaven, can I tell you something? It's going to affect your Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, all the way to Sunday. If you just recognize where Jesus is sitting, where Jesus is reigning, it would affect all of your life. And it would affect the new year, 2014. 2013 passed. But my encouragement to you in this new year is, sit down. Sit down. Rest in his finished work. God is probably telling some of you today, hey, hey, just sit down already. And you're like, no, 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 I got to, you're looking at this, I got to go, I got to do, I got to act, I got to call, I got to be. I got to think, I got to work, I got to live this way, that way, do this, do that. And Jesus today is whispering to your soul, just sit down. And we're like, no, God, I got this. And God's like laughing, he's like, yeah, no, you don't got this. And no, God, I got this, we're okay. He's like, sit down. No, I got it, sit down. But I've got to do, I've got to go. I, 
And, and, and Christ's like, you just got to sit down. Just sit down. Here it is, ready? When you wake up in the morning, when you're working hard to support your family, to pay your bills, when you start to stress out about your future, can you remember to sit down in 2014? What do you mean sit? In the finished work of Jesus Christ? Lord, everything is stressing me out. And just sit down and say, yeah, but Jesus has it all figured out. Just sit down. I know this message blessed my life. When you're stressed about your future, remember to say it. Remember to orient your life around the reality of Jesus. Remember this, it's not by your strength, it's not by your power, it's not by your creativity, it's not even by your own education, by your knowledge, by your wisdom, whatever you want to say, and here it is, it's in the work of Jesus Christ, that's all it's in, it's in the work of Jesus. Not to bore you, I copied a couple verses just to prove to you that Jesus is sitting. Because I know there's someone here that says, he's not really sitting. And you poke the person next to you, like, he's not. He's just trying to make a preaching make sense. No, he's sitting. Ephesians 2, 6 says, and raised up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly high places. He seats us with him. We're going to sit and reign with him. That's awesome. Ephesians 1, 20. And he raised him from the dead and he what? seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Luke twenty two sixty nine. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all his angels with him, you think coming glory, he's going to be riding a pony, riding a horse, I don't know, stallion. He will what? Sit. On the glorious throne. He doesn't need to stand anymore. He doesn't need to stand. I'm reigning, man. I'm reigning is what he's saying. And then he looks at us and says, my creation, can you just sit down? Because that's where I'm at. I'm sitting. Sit with me. I love the scripture in Revelation. I knock at the door. Whoever opens it, I will dine with him. And they will dine with me. You know, in order to dine with someone, you know what you got to do? You got to sit. One of the weirdest things would be, I, I do this at my house, but, and my mother-in-law's here, she'll probably tell me, she's like, Rigo, siéntate. I'll like, no, 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 are we standing? But when you're at someone's house, imagine everyone's sitting in the family, and you're like, no, I'm just going to stand. No, you're dining with a sit. Rest, relax. No, no, I'm standing. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. The Lord says, I knock at the door. Whoever opens, I'm going to dine with him. I'm going to sit and eat, and you're going to sit and eat with me. I love the banquet in the Old Testament. He said, the Lord has sat me. He sat me before my enemies. He talks about a banquet and how he's sitting down before his enemies. That's, that's big. That means you reign over your enemies. You're sitting because Christ is sitting. 
When you look at Daniel chapter 7 and Joel chapter 3, those passages in Daniel 7 and Joel 3, the Lord is judging nations. The Lord is judging multitudes of people, kings, even kings, even peasant people. And while he's judging nations and judging kings and judging presidents and judging us, you guys will never guess what Jesus Christ is doing in Joel 3 and in Daniel 7. He's judging all while sitting. I love when you go to a courtroom. The judge reigns in that courtroom. And because the judge reigns, they sit elevated higher than anyone else in that courtroom. It is an insult if you take a high chair and you sit higher than that judge. Because that is symbolic for the judge being the highest authority in that courtroom. And no one in the courtroom sits higher than me. I sit and reign. And when this pallet hits the wood, whatever I say is accomplished. Jesus, the judge of all nations, sits high, reigns, and what he says will come to pass. Church, can you sit with Jesus today? Where are you running to? Like, where are you running? Where are you going? What are you stressing? Sit with Jesus. Sit with Jesus. If you could just close your eyes right there where you're sitting. I'm not even going to ask you to stand. Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you because there's times where I'm walking, I'm running, I'm pacing, I'm stressed, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to be. And then you come and you say, Rigo, just sit. Because there's nowhere you could go, no thing that you can say, nothing that you can do. All you got to do is rest in my finished work. Some of you are so stressed out about life. Some of you are filled with so much hurt, so much pain. Some of you are so confused in your mind. And your mind is destroying your life. It's because you're not resting in his finished work. Why did I, I, well, not why did I, why did God put this in my heart? I truly believe that this message was given to end 2013 so we could enter 2014 living a life that is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I don't know what's happening right now in your family. I don't know what's happening at work for some of you. I don't know where you're going to go as soon as you walk out of this building today. I don't know what problems you're going to encounter, what circumstances you're going to enter into. But I know one thing that's for sure. We started the message by saying Jesus is faithful. And today he's calling you to sit. Sit in his finished work. How many of you is God speaking to today? You need to sit down. Can you pray with me if that's you? Can you say this right there where you're sitting down? If everyone wants to help them out, let's help them together. Because this might be a message for everyone. But can you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Teach me to sit down and to rest in your finished work. Deal with my stress, my worries, my anxieties, my sin. And let me rest in you. And in you, I can find 
who I'm truly called to be. Strengthen me today. I sit with you in Jesus' name.